Paul's letter to the Romans, and we are at the end of Romans chapter 10. Please join me there in your Bible or the Bible we've provided in the pew. Uh, if you don't know where that is, uh, someone next to you might be able to help you, or you can find the page number to the pew Bible in the order of service, and there's an outline on the back of the worship folder uh, to help you follow along. Romans 10, verses 14 to 21 is our passage for today. This past week, Katie had a headlight go out on her car, and so that little project went on my to-do list. And because Andrew, our younger son, hadn't done this job before, I wanted to get him involved, knowing how to find the right bulb at the auto parts store, how to install it in this particular vehicle. I had a mission, but I wanted to include Andrew in it, not because I wanted him to do the work for me, uh, but because I wanted him to learn a skill and to learn how to serve. Someday he may have a wife who has a headlight go out, and while she may be fully capable of doing the job herself, he should be ready to care for her in practical ways. God has a mission. As 1 John 4.14 says, the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Scriptures are very clear. I hope you know this is what we teach, proclaim. Only the Son of God, only Jesus Christ can save us. But God wants to involve us who are saved in this mission. Not so that we can do the job for Him, but so that we learn to serve, so that we learn to care for people like He does. Our text, again, Romans 10, 14 to 21. I'm going to back up, though, just a few verses to verse 11 to begin the reading. Beginning the reading with verse 11 from Romans 10. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Gentile, non-Jew. For the same Lord is Lord of all, all people, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to, as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is God's word. And this passage raises for us a question. I'm using this as the overall question for this sermon. If hearing and believing the gospel is the only way to be saved, then what must we do? Now, of course, the way you answer that question is different whether you are 
already a believer or not a believer, not yet a believer. We're, we're going to consider both of those as we go along. So here's part one. Faith comes from hearing. To be saved, people must hear and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. At the end of our passage last week, verses 11 to 13, the emphasis was on who will be saved. Everyone who believes in him. No distinction between Jew and non-Jew. Jesus is Lord of all. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But in verse 14, our passage this week, it shifts to the how. Okay, so how does that happen? And it works backward from the end result. Uh, verse, end of verse 13, to be saved, you must call on his name. Well, 14, how would they call on him without first believing in him? And how would they believe in him without, before that, hearing of him? And what? So who and any, anyone, everyone, how and what? What are they hearing? The end of verse 15, the good news. Uh, verse 16, the gospel, same word, same, the, the good news. Verse 17, uh, which says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That's just another way to say the gospel message, the message about Jesus. So this may not seem like a radical statement to you, but it is very important, what I've just said in the, in the outline. To be saved, people must hear and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And just let me, if you'll allow me, to expand on that to make sure we, we know what we're talking about here. To be saved. To be rescued from the wrath of God that your sin deserves. To be delivered from death and hell into eternal life, ultimately in a new creation. To be saved you need the good news of Jesus Christ, the announcement that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's the Christ sent by God the Father to redeem his people. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again in victory. He will come again to restore the kingdom, God's rightful rule over all his creation, bringing blessing to the world, the kind of blessing that we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, and yet that will go beyond it, beyond our all that we can imagine into eternity future. And Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples, says of Jesus, this is from Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, you are all to us. Now, it's one thing to hear it, to be aware of it, to understand its claims, and another hearing than believing. To say that Yes, okay, I, I know that about, about Jesus and his claims, what he's done, what God says he will do. I, I've heard about Jesus, but to believe, to say that I, I am looking to Jesus as my Savior. He's the only one who can pay the penalty for my sin so that I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm welcomed in. And, and just as I, I recognize Jesus as Lord and King, I see myself as his disciple, his servant, his loyal subject. I'm not my own. I belong to him. That's going from hearing the good news to believing, to receiving, to calling on his name. And here's where we might need to press in a little bit more. To be saved then, what this means, this is why this statement, that, in that, that simple line in the outline, why, why this is really important for you to get. To be saved, you need more than a vague sense of a higher power. 
You cannot simply believe that God exists and that be enough. You need to know Jesus, who He is, and what He's done for you. See, you can believe that God is real and still be left in your sins. And sadly, there are a lot of people, while, while we are maybe all aware of the news that says there are fewer and fewer people believing in God, well, we, know, we understand that's a problem, but is it, do we understand the problem of, pe- of so many people, especially in our culture, who, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. Well, I'm not, I'm not some pagan, not some heathen. I believe in God, but it doesn't go any farther for them. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe in God, but at least they're afraid of Him. He says they, they shudder at the thought of God. That's better than a lot of people. Oh, I believe in God, but no holy fear of God, no standing in awe, no bowing the knee of worship. So many folks say they believe in God, but that belief has no bearing on their day-to-day lives. God has no authority, no, no practical authority over their use of time, money, their sex life, their career ambitions. And maybe, maybe today you'd see, well, I'm, I'm not there. I'm, I'm, I may be a little better than that. You, know, uh, you believe God exists, and you're trying to be a good person according to a, you know, a handful of, of Bible verses that you've picked up over the years, like do unto others as you would have them do to you, or love your neighbor as yourself. You may even, you may even feel sorry for the mistakes you've made in life and the way you've hurt people, and you're trying to leverage that guilty conscience into better behavior. It's not enough. That's not salvation. That's not the way to be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to hear the good news. You have to hear what God has said about His Son, Jesus Christ, all He is and all He has done for you. Hear, believe, receive that personally for you if you don't see, if you don't turn, look to Jesus to receive that forgiveness through His sacrifice, if you've never acknowledged the wrongness of your deeds and turned away from them to trust in Christ, in other words, no confession, no repentance, no faith, no salvation. If that sounds harsh to you, it's, it's, no, it's no different than if you had felt perfectly fine. You're feeling very healthy, robust, you're in the prime of life, but inside you have a tumor growing. You may believe that the doctor exists, and you believe what, the, what his or her job is, but you're not going to that doctor for a true assessment of your condition. You're not submitting to or trusting them for the radical treatment that you desperately need. That's the difference between no, yeah, I, I believe in the doctor and believing in the doctor, the way this is trusting the doctor, putting yourself in their hands for life that you need. If that, if, if that idea of, well, I, I believe God exists, but I don't need Him, which is really what you're saying, I, I believe in God, but I don't think I really need Him for anything, if that describes your non-relationship with God, you can change that today through hearing and believing the good news about Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. 
because He will save you. He's the only one who can save you. Don't settle for vague ideas about God or good intentions morally, religiously, trying to live a better life on your own. You need Jesus, and that's what we're about here. I'd love to talk with you about where you're at with Jesus. I know there are many who would be glad to talk with you, to pray with you afterwards, to help you take the next step. We want to do that. For, for now, for this moment. I mean, you could, you could take care of that in this moment, in your heart. You could do that. Call on His name. You don't need to wait till the sermon's over. But the sermon is going to continue. We're going to, we're going to move on to some other implications of these verses particularly for those who already believe. So, if I can read verse 13 again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is part two. Those who preach the good news. To be heard and believed, this message requires messengers on mission. Let's talk for a moment about that word preaching in there in the end of verse 14 and 15. The Greek word means proclaiming, heralding, like hear ye, hear ye, which, which naturally fits with the, the idea, the sense of the word good news. News is something that needs to be announced, needs to be broadcast, disseminated. It needs to get out there. You want it to go viral. Now, here, here's why it's important for you to get the sense of that, the real sense of that word preaching. You don't have to be a pastor to do this kind of preaching. You don't have to be able to deliver a sermon to do this kind of preaching. All it's talking about, any Christian who is making Christ known as good news, getting the word out about Jesus, any believer announcing God's way of salvation in Jesus, you are doing the kind of preaching that Paul is talking about here, that, that God wants, that the world needs. Sure, God could have done the job without you. He could have done it all himself, just like Jesus appeared in a vision to Paul on the road to Damascus. He, I, think, I think there are credible stories today of God still doing that on rare occasion. But this is God's mission strategy, using those who have received the good news to turn around and then become gospel transmitters, gospel proclaimers, gospel announcers. So, of course, this includes uh, those whom we call missionaries, which is just a word for those who are being sent, those who are sent out, people who travel around the world, crossing oceans, crossing borders and boundaries of, of language and culture to bring the gospel to people who have not yet heard so that they might believe, so that might believe, call on His name, and be saved. Last fall, we celebrated a few of our uh, missionaries, missionary couples who recently retired after a lifetime, decades of gospel ministry. And in a couple of weeks at our Celebration of Grace service, we're going to be uh, introducing to you some new missionaries we have. We've had some missionaries retire. We're adding new missionaries to those whom we support uh, that we will approve in our new budget. We're, we're excited to, to uh, tell you about them. We don't, they're not able to be with us um, 
personally, but we'll show you some pictures. We'll tell you about their work serving in a few different countries and, and three different continents, as well as ministry here in our own region. And together, together, you and I, we support these missionaries through our faithful giving, week in and week out. Why? Because of verses like this. If people need to hear the gospel, we need to send those who will proclaim it. And Paul says, quoting Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Why focus on the feet? Because it's all about going somewhere, traveling somewhere, moving from point A to point B. Why? Because at point B, there are people who haven't heard. They need to go. And, and God bless those who say, we'll go. And, and God bless those who say, Let's, we'll send you. We'll get you there. Because there are people who need to hear so that they can believe, to make Jesus known where he was not. But again, this is not limited to what we might call career missionaries, you know, uh, official uh, vocational ministries. How beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of students who travel from Mount Morris to Chicago to work at Inner City Impact, to work with children in a day camp, to do, uh, play games and do tutoring, and to have Bible lessons that introduce kids to Jesus. How beautiful, we'll hear a report from our, our ICI team in a couple of weeks as well. How beautiful are the feet of those who cross the street to, to take a welcome basket from our church to their new neighbors, creating opportunities for relationships and opportunities for the gospel. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. If you, if you look at your place, your home, your job, your school, your community, as simply where you happen to be, and because it's where you grew up, I live here just because that's where my parents lived. Uh, my parents moved here. My, my parents grew up here. And their parents. Uh, maybe it's this, you're here because this is where your spouse is from. This is where, so this is where you settled. Maybe you see it not just where, is you, where you happen to be. Maybe you see this as where you're stuck. Like, uh, this is the only place I could find a job, only place I could find a house I could afford, uh, whatever. You might imagine being somewhere else, somewhere that's not Illinois, somewhere that's not a small town, some, some place where things are happening, things are bustling. And you, you, you have a dream location, but you know, this is where you are, stuck here. What if you saw yourself as being sent here by God? I know you're not, I know you're not a missionary. Nobody, nobody laid their hands on you and prayed as you packed up your bags and went to Mount Morris, Illinois, Ogle County, Lee County, wherever you live. I'm sure you could point to all kinds of circumstances, decisions that got you here, where you're at. Maybe it was your choice. Maybe you feel like you didn't have much of a choice. But what if God put you here for his purpose? For his purpose specifically, not just for your life to give you a certain kind of life, but what if God put you here for his purpose? What if God expects you and me to make sure that everyone in this village, in this region, hears about Jesus? Hears so that they might believe. What if get, that's why God has you where you are, here? He's not going to do it by himself. He's not going to try to make us do it for him so he doesn't have to. He's going to get the job done through us, and he's going to get the job done with us. And that's a beautiful 
thing. Now, there's a reason why most sermons on evangelism and missions will, that use this text will stop after verse 15 or maybe after verse 17 because it takes a turn here in verse 16. Verse 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This is part three. But not all obeyed the gospel. The people we love may hear, yet not believe the message about Jesus. Now, that might sound strange to talk about obeying the gospel in verse 16, especially when we think about the emphasis that Paul has had through the letter about faith as opposed to works. I mean, didn't we see that at the end of chapter 9, verse 32? The, The problem with Israel is that they pursued a righteous standing, not by faith, but as if it were by works, obeying God's law. But Paul used a phrase very similar to this one in verse 16 uh, at the very beginning of the letter. I'll read Romans 1 verse 5, or you can look at, look at there. Romans 1 5 said, Through whom, through, through Jesus, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship, that is, being sent out, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Being sent for the sake of the obedience of of faith. So, see if I know, I'm like, oh, stretching here. See if you can hold this all together. Being justified by faith is opposed to the idea that you can earn your salvation. Yes, but it's not opposed to the idea that we must, must obey God. He's God. We are His people. Okay, but how do we obey the gospel if it's not a command, but it's news? That's a good question. How do we obey the gospel, to use Paul's words, if, it's, if the gospel is not a command, do this, but it's news. Look what Christ has done. Well, imagine that your car has broken down again, and the only mechanic in town has failed you over and over. And now you're, I mean, you're starting to, you don't know what to do. I mean, do you take them back? Do you, do you pay this person more money? to not fix your car. You're starting to get in trouble for missing work because of all this. But then there is an announcement. There is new management at the garage. And this new owner claims integrity and skill and fair pricing and guaranteed repairs. To obey that good news is to take your car right over. Get there. I mean, you are responding to this announcement with faith putting your valuable car and your hard-earned cash in his hands. There is, understand, there is a summons in the gospel. In one sense, yes, it is a, just an announcement. Here's what Christ has done. Here's who Jesus is and what he has done. It's an announcement, and yet there is also a summons in it. There's a call. Not just in, 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 in one sense, an invitation. Yes, wouldn't you like this? But even stronger than that, because if you reject him, there are consequences. It's an invitation. Yes, this is for you. Come. And there's also something of a summons. There's a demand. Follow, uh, trust, believe, call, or be lost. 
The gospel is not merely information to be considered. It is making a truth claim about who Jesus is and about who you are. You are a sinner. Jesus is the only Savior. So repent and believe. In that sense, to put your faith in Christ then is to obey the gospel. It is not earning your salvation. It is responding to the truth. It is answering the call that is the good news. But so many hear the, hear the gospel do not believe it. Paul quotes Isaiah 53, verse 1, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And the question there is not expecting an answer. Well, yeah, Bob and, and Susan and, and George, have, they, they, they're the ones. Who, who has believed these folks? Not, that's not the, how the question works. It is a question that is shocked and saddened that so few, if any, have responded. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? We're, we're announcing the good news, and yet the response seems so sparse, so small. Who has believed, believed what he has heard from us? And that sequence turns Paul back to the previous point, verse 17. Yes, indeed, faith does come from hearing, hearing from the gospel. And then verse 18 is a tricky verse for a couple of reasons when it says, but I ask, have they not heard? They have. Now, if you're reading carefully, you, you understand, okay, well, wait a minute, this is, doesn't this go against what he's just said? Uh, doesn't this undermine the whole project of sending missionaries? We need to send missionaries. We need to send people to, to proclaim the gospel. Uh, career missionaries and ordinary Christians out there telling people about Jesus. Well, they've already heard. They've already heard. Well, what, what's going on here? Um, in verse 18 and 19, when Paul asks at the beginning, but I ask... But I ask, I I believe he's talking back to the questions of verses 14 and 15. If you're a little lost, just try to hold on. Um, We've seen this several times throughout this letter, where Paul will express possible objections to what he's saying, creating his own back-and-forth dialogue. And after he says, in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, some might say, well, okay, Paul, but how are they supposed to call on him? If they've never heard, how can, how can they believe in him whom they've never heard? How, won't, how, can, how are they going to hear if, if nobody goes and tells them? What about that, Paul? And he says, in verse 17, he agrees with their logic. Yes, faith comes by hearing. Yes, people need to make Christ known. Yes, we do need missionaries. But I ask you, have they not heard? They have. The problem is that they haven't heard. They've heard all right, but they haven't believed. And he's speaking, again, back to the bigger issue here of what about all those who are God's people of Israel who have not trusted Christ? And then quoting Psalm 19.4, just as clearly as all creation leaves no one without a witness to the Creator, the Jews who are not trusting Christ in Paul's day, they're not, it's not because they're ignorant of Him. They've all heard the gospel. They simply refuse to believe. Remember the beginning of the chapter. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Hearing is necessary for believing, so we proclaim Christ, but we can't guarantee the positive response. That was troubling for Paul as he considered his fellow Israelites who had all the history and heritage of faith, the covenants and promises of God. It may be troubling for you as you consider those that you love. Just as dear as his fellow Israelites were to Paul, you have people who are dear to you and you, you know 
you know they need to hear about Jesus, and so they, they needed someone to tell them, and perhaps you've been faithful. You've, you've been the one who's, who God has put in their path to tell them about Jesus, and you've told them. You've told them about Jesus time and time again. They've heard, but they won't believe. They won't call on his name. It's hard to know. When, when you think you've done all that you can do, what else is there? You can't choose for them. You can't believe for them. And like Paul with Israel, it breaks your heart. If you could, as he said earlier, if, if, I, could, if I could take their place, I, 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 could, I could wish that I could be accursed if, if I could just see those whom I love know Jesus in a saving way. Folks, the, the rest of our passage this morning doesn't, doesn't solve that problem, doesn't resolve that tension. It, it won't make that hurt go away. But, but, and, and, and for the most part, this passage is ultimately specific to the Israel issue. But it does give us something very important that I, I do want to leave you with this morning. So read verses 19 and 21 with me. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, quoting Deuteronomy, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Speaking to Israelites, I will make you Israelites jealous of those who are not a nation, these Gentiles who are not my people. With a foolish nation, Gentiles, I will make you Israelites angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself, God says, to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the last part. I have held out my hands. God keeps reaching to those who refuse him. Should we do any less? If Israel heard but did not believe, did they just not understand, Paul asks? And if you think about it, Paul's quotation from Deuteronomy 32 there, Moses says, it doesn't seem to answer the question, I will make you jealous? I will make the Israelites jealous? I, I, I will make them angry? And that's not going to make any sense until we get into chapter 11. So I'm not going to say much more about that. Basically, it's to say God's doing something that's bigger than just what's going on in the moment. So maybe that is worth spending a little more time on. Just at that general level. God is doing something in, in the particularities of any, any specific moment, of any specific person. Just understand God is doing things that are bigger than what you see in that moment, in their life, in their rejection of God, in their wrestling and maybe hearing but not believing. There's a bigger thing that's going on and the story is not done yet. But then... Um, when Paul quotes Isaiah in verse 20, he's referring again to the Gentiles, just like, um, when, well, when he says, I've been found by those who, uh, who, who do not seek me. Sounds like the end of chapter 9, verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue a righteousness have attained it. Uh, this, this is the same problem. The Gentiles are, are getting saved. They're coming to Christ, but the Israelites aren't. And then, which is why you have, again, in the verse 21 here at the end of chapter 10, the contrast with Israel. And the emphasis here is, in the verse, is on Israel's refusal. He's been standing there all day with open arms, but they won't come. The emphasis is on their stubbornness, their stiffened necks, their arched backs. 
But I want to close very briefly with, with just this picture of God there. The very different posture of God, even toward a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. If you're here today, or maybe you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, somehow you, somehow you, you walked into church. This is not your thing. This, you, don't, I don't, you don't believe this stuff. But somebody brought you here, somebody led you here, some link got you here. I don't know. If you're dead set against God, but you're hearing these words today, you don't give a rip about what the Bible says. You don't believe in heaven and hell. You're not worried about where you're going when you die. All day long, he's been holding his hands out to you. All day long. And that's not just today. All day, every day, he's holding out his hands to you. Are you going to keep resisting? Are you going to keep refusing? He's ready to receive you. If you're a believer already, but your heart breaks for those who have heard, but will not believe the gospel, and you're left with, okay, do I, do I press harder? Do, do, I, do I try a diff, some different words, a different presentation, a different angle? You know, the, do, I, do I come in angry one time? Do I come in sweet and kind the other time? Do I, do I try to make them feel guilty? Or do you just walk away, just give up? I guess they had their chance. And I, I get it. Sometimes it, it makes sense to spend your words on those who are willing to listen. But look to the Lord. He's still standing there with open arms, even to the contrary, even to the disobedient. And, the, and what, what that also, and not only should that inform our posture, but think of it, there's never, there's never a time you have to think, well, I'm sure, I know, I know I heard the gospel that one time. I know Jesus was presented to me, and I, and I, I refused. I, I said, I didn't want it, but now I want it. What if he's not? What if he's up there saying, well, you had your chance. I mean, I gave you chance after chance, and you know, I, I was tired of waiting. I was sick and tired of waiting for you to figure it out, to just surrender and come to me. He's not doing that. All day long, I've held out my hands. To, he's, his, his arms are still open. Until that final judgment the way is open for rebels to end their resistance. Instead of, and instead of revolting against God, you can, the, the revolution can be within your soul. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I know this verse 21 at the end of the chapter doesn't explicitly tell us to imitate God in this same way. But if God has called those of us who believe to join him in his mission, if he could have done the work himself, but he's given us the privilege to partner with him in the gospel mission to let people know so that they can hear, so that they can believe, so that they can call in his name, so that they can be saved. If he's given us this privilege... And if Jesus, yes, is the only Savior, we're not the Savior, we're just messengers on mission. Is it not so that we can appreciate our Savior more? 
Is it not so that we can, can appreciate the gift of salvation more? Is it not so that we can share God's heart for the lost? That we can have more of the same heart that He has for the lost? Should we be any less committed in keeping on reaching out to those who do not now know Him? Even beyond simply those who have not heard to those who are simply just don't know about Jesus, keep on reaching out to those who do not, have not heard about Jesus. Yes, we need to do that. Go, let them know. But even keep on reaching out to those who have heard, but to this point have not believed, who have heard and maybe even right now have every appearance of being utterly resistant all day long. He keeps his hands reaching out to the rebellious and the resistant. If hearing and believing the gospel is the only way to be saved, then what must we do? If you don't, if you don't know him today, today is the day to, to hear, to believe, and to call in his name and be saved. If you know him today, what must we do? Keep holding those arms open. His, his hands are open. His hands are reaching out. We can be the ones who show people what that looks like, who let people know what Christ, who Christ is and what he has done. Get the news out, folks. Let people know. If they don't know, they'll, they'll never be able to respond in faith and believe and be saved. It's not easy, I know, to keep those hands open and reaching when there are some who, who are disobedient and contrary. No, I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. And I'm not saying we, we apply the, the same uh, force in the opposite direction, that we shove anything down anybody's throat. But that's not what we see here. Hands that are reaching out and that are open. Pray that that is what people see and hear from us as God brings us into His mission to save people only through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I, I'm sure that for many in this room, this is a very familiar passage. And yet, I know, I know I need to hear this. I, I, I believe we need to hear this. To know how critical the gospel is, the difference, the life and death difference the gospel makes and the way that you have not only called us to believe but are calling us to be a part of the transmission of the gospel, the announcing of the good news. God, may we not be content simply to believe and be saved and be done, but to believe to be saved, and to proclaim. To believe, be saved, and then join God in holding out hands, reaching all day long, even to those, to, certainly to those who have never heard, and even to those who have heard but choose not to believe. Oh God, save more today, now, 
and in these dark days as you hold out your hands. Thank you for being that kind of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.